Hey, this is Jeremy Isaacs, lead pastor of Generations Church, where we want to live like it matters. For more information about our church, you can visit us at g.church. We hope you're encouraged by today's message. Thanks again for listening. With you this morning. We're going to be speaking from Matthew chapter 13, verses 3 through 8. If you want to turn your Bibles or your devices to follow along, it's a very familiar passage, the passage of the sower. Jesus is talking to a crowd, and he begins to tell them a story. You know, that's what a parable really is. It's a story that tells or illustrates a lesson. And he's speaking about a farmer, and, he, and I'll read it. He says, a farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the, scattering the seed, some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on the rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the, pat, the plants were scorched and withered because they had no root. Still other seed fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plants. But still other seed fell on good soil, where it produced a crop a hundred times, sixty times, or thirty times what was sown. This morning, my question to you, and what I'm going to be speaking on, is how good is your ground? How well are you tending your plot of ground, your heart, your mind? Are you keeping your hearts and your minds prepared to receive the word, the seed from God? You know, the other day I was up in my garden. Some of you know that I like to garden. And I was up in my garden early in the morning. And I was working with what's called a wheel hole. A wheel hole is just what it sounds like. It's an old-fashioned type of a plow with a handle, a big wheel in the front, and a plow underneath. And you manually push it down the rows of your garden to keep the soil turned up and turned over and help to keep the weeds turned up and turned over. And I was pushing this wheel hoe down the row and I began to watch the plow as it was turning the earth. And man, the Holy Spirit fell on me and I tell you up in that garden at 7 o'clock in the morning I hit my knees and I began to pray and I began to ask the Lord just to touch my life, Lord. I said, keep my life turned over, keep my life turned up, keep my life malleable, palatable, keep my life worthy of you, Lord, so that when you plant your seed in me, my ground will be good. You know, I don't know if you've ever planted a garden in Georgia red clay, but you know you have to keep it turned over to keep the ground soft because as the rains come, when the rains beat down on red clay, it begins to get hard again and it begins to get a crust, if you will. And that crust sometimes can keep the rain and the nutrients and the fertilizer from getting back down to the roots of the plant. And it's kind of the same with us if we're not careful. You see, when the rains of adversity come, when the rains of disappointment come, when the rains of anxiety begin to beat down on us, it begins to harden us sometimes. It can harden our lives and harden our hearts. And we don't hear the word. And that's when we need to get the word into ourselves and let it dig down just like that plow and turn over our lives and work into this very soil of our life. And, you know, it's also like Jesus said, it's turning over and keeping the weeds from taking over and keeping the weeds from taking root. That's what that plow does. You know, Jesus said that some of the seed fell in where there was thorns and where there's weedy areas. And he said that the weeds choked the plants. In fact, Jesus stated later on in that same chapter, he said, the worries of life and the deceitfulness of wealth choked out the plant and made it unfruitful. And just, just ask you this morning to think about the weeds that could be coming up in your life. Think about the weeds that may be growing in your life that's taking root. Maybe the weeds of, the weeds of bitterness, the weeds of pride or envy or jealousy. I know we've been through a lot these last you know, two months. A lot of people have been either out of work or some forced to work when others couldn't go to work. There's been differences of opinions throughout this entire, you know, six or eight weeks. Wear a mask. Don't wear a mask. Touch me. Don't touch me. 
you know, people voicing strong opinions on Facebook. These things can lead us to having a hardened crust around us where we're not getting the word of God back inside of us this morning. I hope you're hearing me. You know, it's, it's, it's about me, but it's also I'm hoping about some of you. Just I'm challenging this morning. Don't let that infiltrate you. And I just stood there and I laid there on the ground and I prayed and I asked the Lord to deliver me from anything in my life that could be causing my ground to get hard and to repel the soil, uh, I mean the fertilizer. And as I got up onto my feet, I was reminded of something my daughter had posted, you know, a, a couple of three days ago. She had planted a couple of tomato plants and she was proud of those plants and she took photographs of those plants and she put them out. I was either on Facebook or Instagram. And one of her friends commented, they said, oh, are you planting a garden? And she said, no, I'm not planting a garden. I just wanted to put a couple of plants, tomato plants in the ground. She said, my father, whew, she said, my father, my daddy has a garden that supplies all our needs. And this morning, church, I'm telling you, your heavenly father has a garden that will supply all your needs. It's just our job to keep our ground where it's broken up and ready to accept those seeds. He has a warehouse full of seeds ready to plant in us so that we can produce a hundredfold. And I just challenge you and ask you this morning to pray with me and, and, and keep your ground ready to receive the seeds of the Holy Spirit this morning. Thank you so much for your time this morning. Well, good morning, church. My name is Carrie Keith, and it's a joy to be with you today. I am married to a wonderful man, and his name is Chris, and we've been married 15 years this week. We have three kind of wild at heart boys at very different stages and phases of life. We have one that's 13, one that's seven, and one that's three. Um, we call it in our house a daily refinement. Um, just marriage and parenting is a daily refinement for us in our home. The Lord has used that in a sweet way. Um, so it's hard, um, especially in the season we're in now, to find quiet, um, but the Lord's been really sweet to meet me. And about halfway through this quarantine season that we've been in, um, he broke me. He broke me of an issue of, that was really rooted in pride. And what he, he revealed to me was that I can't sustain myself. And um, he's spoken that over me time and time again. And years ago, I had a mentor that really asked me to have a word of the year. And, and the very first word that I ever picked was surrender. And God taught me a lot about surrender. And it led into the next year of dependence. And what I ultimately learned was surrender leads to dependence. But in that, in that dependence, he will sustain he, he didn't create us to make a way. He created us to surrender and to depend on a perfect father who will sustain. I'd love to read Psalm 54 verse 4 over you. It says, surely God is my help. The Lord is the one who sustains me. As I was reflecting recently and kind of doing some journaling, these thoughts of his faithfulness and provision over this season were kind of some things that I wrote down. And I'd love to share just a piece of that with you today. I'm going to shorten it so we're not here all day. Um, this, is, this just came, flowed out um, this past weekend. Why do you think I can't sustain you? I have not only sustained you time and time again, but even in the heart, I have renewed your strength and have allowed you to soar on wings like eagles, run and not grow weary, and walk and not be faint. I have guided, satisfied, and made your bones strong. And just like a garden needs water, I have done and will do the same for you day in and day out. I have something to say to your heart, but I need your attention. Please be still and know that I am God. 
I will be exalted among the nations, and I will be exalted in the earth. I know these days have not been easy, and enduring pain is not what I intended from the beginning, but it is doing a mighty work in your soul. I know you want to try to fix these hard days in your own ways, but I need you to wait. Know that I will sustain. I have told you that in this world there will be trouble, but I have overcome the world. Consider it pure joy whenever you face trials, because this testing produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete and not lacking anything. These momentary trials I am asking and allowing you to walk through are preparing for you a weight of glory that far outweighs them all. These struggles and questions force you to depend on me in a deeper way, but I promise I will sustain. I want to hear every one of your prayers, questions, and laments because I care for you more than you ever understand. When your spirit grows faint, it is I who watches over you. As you cry out, I will remind you of my faithfulness. I am your rock, your refuge, your strength, and the portion in the land of the living. My grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. Do not fear, though the, the winds give way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea. I promise to strengthen and supply all of your needs. If you draw near to me, I will draw near to you. I'm using these days to transform and reveal my glory and sufficiencies in ways you would not have seen if there had not been struggle. Know that I will not leave you nor forsake you. You stand in my grace and you boast in the hope of the glory of me. You also glory in the sufferings because it's producing perseverance, perseverance, character, and character hope. My calling is greater than any earthly gain or pain. I need you to understand that I'm calling you to a daily surrender and dependence on me, your perfect father. This was made possible through the cross alone. As you learn to depend, you will learn that I do sustain on the mountain and in the valley. I taught you to ask for daily bread so that you would know what it looks like for me to sustain you. I ask that you daily deny yourself and take up your cross and follow me. When I said that my word is a lamp to your feet and a light unto my path, I meant it. But I did not mean it to illuminate the whole road, but just the next step. Though it is not easy, I want you to rejoice always, pray constantly, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is what I've called you to do. I need you to know that I will do far more than you ask or imagine, but I'm asking you to let me sustain you today. I am God and there is none like me. I make known the end from the beginning, ancient times, what is still to come. I have sustained the generations before you and I will sustain the generations to come. For such a time as this, I have called you and I am faithful. I will surely do it. I've got this and I've got you. I will not let the enemy destroy you this side of eternity or the next. As you wait and long to see my face, I ask you to keep running this race that I've placed before you. My love never fails. I am enough. I am sufficient. I will sustain. Let's be people who surrender, depend, and let him sustain. Good morning. I'm Barry Maddle, and I'm happy to be here this morning. I have a confession to make. It's difficult for me to be around two types of people. Talkers and what I call safe subject people. You know the types I'm talking about, the ones that just want to talk on the surface. I just have a difficult time. I, don't, I can't really figure out exactly why, although I suspect I know part of it. The, the talkers, I feel like they just take the air time. And, and I 
can't, you know, really get anything from them. And then the, the surface talkers, the, the safe subject people, I feel like there's no depth. We really don't talk about anything that, that, that I can grow from and, and learn from. And now I know some of you are probably thinking, well, I like those people, right? Because if I'm around them, I don't have any pressure on me. I don't have any anything. And, and that's all well and good if you can park in that spot. But I just can't do it. I just seem to find that maybe it says I'm getting older, more self-actualized or whatever. I just, I, I have a difficult time being, being around them. Now, there's, there's a flaw in my statement. If I say I don't want to be around a talker, what's it mean? It means I want to talk, right? So I understand that there's a little bit of irony there. And I also understand that probably doesn't reflect too well on me, but I'm a flawed man. That's why I'm here in church, right? With all that being said, I want to let you in on a little something that I found out about me a couple of weeks ago, actually about a month ago. I'm pretty sure God thinks that I'm a talker, and I think that God thinks that I'm a pretty safe subject kind of guy in my relationship with him. You know, Christians believe that God exists in three persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. You know, they're each God equal in nature, equal in stature, attributes. They're all worthy of the same praise. Jesus talked about the Holy Spirit in John 14, 26 to 27 when he said, I'm telling you these things while I'm still living with you. The friend, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send at my request, will make everything plain to you. He will remind you of all the things I have told you, I'm leaving you well and whole. That's my parting gift to you, peace. I don't leave you the way you're used to being left, feeling abandoned, bereft. So don't be upset. Don't be distraught. Not too long ago, I realized that unless I agreed with what he was trying to say, I'd just talk over the voice of the Holy Spirit. I would literally talk over someone who was sent to me from God at Jesus' request just because I didn't like hearing what he was saying. He'd want to talk about something I didn't want to talk about, pick up my phone, look at Facebook. Be driving in the car somewhere, he'd want to bring something up that was a little too much below the surface that I didn't want to have to deal with, turn on the radio, listen to CNBC, right? Everything was great. But my quiet time had turned into me time and not us time. And what's so weird is that I did my daily devotions every day. I've got Tyndale Bible app. I did men's devotions, for, uh, Bible devotions for men. I would do praying through the Bible. I did the daily audio Bible. I did all that stuff. I made the motions. But my words didn't match my music. And then one day, it was just, you know, the bam and the crash-in moment. God had reached me, and he had done it in a way that, like God does, I couldn't quite get my hands around. I'd noticed over time a recurring themes in my devotionals. I'd noticed my wife constructively challenging me to be a better listener. In a well-timed phone call with a friend of mine named John, 
who's, who's really just a casual friend. I don't really know him all that well. We got done talking business, and after business, I brought up just a slight safe subject question and said, John, do you ever feel like you're not quite where you need to be in your relationship with God? And John says, I can't speak for you, Barry, but I know that for me it's just, it's every day it's an intentional thing, and you have to be intentional. So I thought about it, and I kind of realized that man's voice was louder in my life than God's voice, because I lack that intentionality. So I owed God an apology, and I gave it to him right away. I wish I could say everything's perfect now, but it's not. Pretty much every day, there's a battle going on in my head, and I have to push through it and apply that discipline, that rigor, to maintain my relationship. I've had to restructure my car time, which is really difficult because I like CNBC, but I have to now let that be my reward after my talk. After my devotionals, I read those, I have to purposely pause and listen for his voice. And what I find so interesting is now that I'm listening more, now I want to ask him more questions. And so during the day, I'll ask, well, anything you got to say here? Am I not hearing you or something like that? And so my friend John would be right. I become more intentional. Circumstances had brought me to where I was. It was, this, it was a scope creep when I got there in order to get there. And I bet I could convince a whole bunch of people why my problems were so difficult and why I had it so tough. But we all know that that's not the case. And we all know that we choose to take the actions that we take. But thanks to an undeterred Holy Spirit and the voice of God and someone who finally was able to listen, I ended up doing something that I don't normally do. I ended up praying more and thinking less. And so that's my story. I had slowly turned into a talker and a safe subject guy, drowning out the voice of the Holy Spirit inside of me. And I was shrugging off the gift that Jesus gave to me before he ascended into heaven so that I wouldn't feel abandoned. And I had totally missed the plot. I'll close with a version from the message with, excuse me, with a uh, verse from the message version of the Bible from the beginning of Acts 19. Now it happened that while Apollos was away in Corinth, Paul made his way down through the mountains, came to Ephesus, and happened on some disciples there. The first thing he said was, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? Did you take God into your mind only? Or did you also embrace him with your heart? Did he get inside you? My prayer for you is that today, or sometime soon, you're able to have a quiet conversation with the voice of the Holy Spirit who lives inside of you, and that you be a listener in a deep conversation in order to be drawn closer to Christ. Well, hey, Generations Church, my name is Jason, and uh, I am your pastor's brother. I'm also a pastor in Louisville, Kentucky, 
and just so happened to be here during Communicator Weekend and invited myself to speak. Uh, no, actually, was asked to speak, and I'm honored to do so. And I know I only have five minutes, but I do want to take just a couple of seconds to say um, how much I love what's happening at this church. I've had a chance to see the updates in the building and the progress. And even while church has not been able to gather, your church has been making so much progress, which is amazing to see. And so love being here. And uh, what I want to do is I want to talk to you a little bit about joy. And I want to start by asking you this question. I want you to participate with me. Just think to yourself about some of the happiest moments in your life. Go ahead and take just a second and think of a few of the happiest moments in your life. Think about it. Now, here's what I would be willing to bet. Maybe you're still thinking, maybe you've got a couple. Here's what I would be willing to bet about the happiest moments in your life. I would be willing to bet that the happiest moments in your life were preceded by some of the hardest moments in your life. I jotted down a few examples like holding your baby, your newborn baby in your arms. Probably a happy moment for everyone. I've got four children, and they're all happy moments. But how many people know it was preceded by some of the hardest moments, not for myself, but for my wife? Um, but even nine months leading up to that, hard, right? Maybe it was when you finally walked out of the office and retired, and, and that was an amazing feeling, but it was preceded by 20, 30, 40 years of hard work. Maybe it was when a doctor said the test came back clean. And it was a happy moment, but you think about all the treatments and all the things that you went through to fight against the sickness, or maybe it's graduation, high school graduation, college graduation, a happy moment, but you can think and be honest and say like, yeah, preceded by some really hard moments too. Well, this is what the Bible teaches us. The Bible teaches us that hard times are an opportunity for great joy. James 1 talks about consider pure joy when you face trials of any kind. First Peter says be very glad when you face uh, difficulties. And when we read these verses in the Bible, we think that makes absolutely no sense. But when we think back on our life, we can see that that's actually kind of true. The Bible's right. That obstacles are opportunities. Obstacles are opportunities for great joy. And so I want to read you a, a verse, actually three verses from the book of Philippians. And I've been studying the book of Philippians a lot late, lately for me personally and for our church. And Philippians is filled with famous Bible verses. I can do all things through Christ which strengthens me is one of them. That's uh, 413, I think. And uh, I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. That's in there, like chapter two, I think. But my, my favorite verse in Philippians is not one of the famous ones, and I believe that it is the most important verse in the whole book of Philippians, and I want to read it to you. It's verses 12, 13, and 14, and this is what it says. Paul's writing. This is considered his joyful book, even though he wrote it from prison, and this is what he says in verse 12. He says, and I want you to know, dear brothers and sisters, that everything that has happened to me here has helped I have that underlined in my Bible. Everything that's happened has helped to spread the good news. Verse 13, for everyone here, including the whole palace guard, knows that I am in chains because of Christ. Here's my verse, 14. Love it. Here we go. And because of my imprisonment, most of the believers here have gained confidence and boldly speak God's message without fear. I believe that all four chapters, 104 verses of the book of Philippians hinge on verse 14 when Paul says, and it was or is because of my imprisonment 
that the believers, that, that, that most of the believers have gained confidence. Paul could have used any word he wanted to, any phrase he wanted to. He could have said, it's, uh, he said, he could have said, in spite of the fact that I'm in prison. He could have said, even though I'm in prison, but that's not what he said. He said, it's because of my imprisonment. Here's what that means to me, is that Paul was not trying to make the best out of a bad situation. Paul believed that a bad situation was actually for the best. He wasn't looking for silver lining. He believed that God was up to something and that his obstacle was an opportunity. I love the way Mark Batterson says it. Mark Batterson says, let's don't be in such a hurry to get out of bad times that we don't get anything out of bad times. And so here's what I want to challenge you to do today. I want to challenge you to write your own because sentence. Paul said, it's because of my imprisonment that most of the believers are gaining confidence. And here's what I know about you. You've got a because sentence. You've actually got a lot of because sentences. And so grab a piece of paper or grab your phone, and I want you to write your because sentence. It was because of my cancer that my family came together. It was because of my divorce that I finally felt a need for God. It was because of the bankruptcy. There was something that happened that you thought at the moment was the worst thing that ever happened to you, but now as you look back, you realize that it was maybe the best thing that ever happened to you. It was because, here's how we say it around my church. We say it like this, I wouldn't choose it, but I wouldn't change it. I wouldn't choose it, wouldn't choose to go through it. But now that I look back on my life, here's what I realize. I wouldn't change it. So I just want to challenge you to write your own because sentence. And as you write it, be thankful and grateful. Maybe take a moment to pray and thank God. Thank you, God, for the situations in my life that I would never have chosen. But now that I've been through them, I wouldn't change them either. God bless. Um, I hope everybody's staying safe, uh, hanging tough during these times. Um, this too shall pass. Um, we will, uh, we will come out on the other side of this better than we did when we went in on this. So just no matter what you're going through today, hopefully you'll feel uplifted and loved, not just by me, but like whatever the words that I say, but all these other speakers that will follow, they're, they're great speakers and I know they're going to do well. When I was asked to do this, um, Romans 5, 6 through 8 um, was kind of laid on my heart, um, so that's where we're going to start, but it's one of those things that um, if this is all you take away, that's, that's still something that's great. So it starts in uh, verse 6, and it reads, you see at the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. If you left today knowing that and that only, that's a blessing in itself. And when I look at the NLT version, so just a different translation of the same scripture, it says when we were utterly helpless. If you've ever thought that you were utterly helpless in your life, you, you really don't know where to turn. You can't do anything for yourself. You're very dependent on someone else. And that's exactly what God knew that we were. We were dependent on him to provide the, the sacrifice for us and the Savior in Jesus Christ. But it reads, when we were utterly helpless, Christ came to us at just the right time and died for us sinners. Now most people would not be willing to die for an upright person, though someone might perhaps be willing to die for a person who's especially good. But God showed his great love for us 
by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. These are some of the best words that we could ever hear. And too often people put earthly standards that reverse what God intended, making it seem that we have to work for his love when it's given to us freely. Before we make or made a decision or a first move, he's already shown us unconditionally love first by sending his son to die on the cross for us. When you approach God, he doesn't need you to clean up before you come to him because he does the cleansing. God doesn't need you to get rid of your hurts and your brokenness before you come to him. He heals and repairs. God doesn't need you to offload your burdens before you come to him because he takes on your burdens. God doesn't leave us to clean up our own mess. He gets down in the mess and helps us clean it from the inside out. He has already initiated it. All you have to do is accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. So when we choose to follow the Lord, a transformation takes place. It tells us a little later in Romans that we are no longer a child of man, but we're called a child of God. And what God wants to do, he wants to take us from separation from God to a relationship with God. He wants us to take our ruin and be our rescuer. He wants to take our disobedience and turn it into obedience. He wants to take our sin and give us righteousness. He wants to take our judgment and give us deliverance. And God wants to give a replace our death with eternal life. Some of you today might not have a relationship with God. And I want to encourage you with what it tells us in Romans 10. If you declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is your heart that you believe, then you are justified. And it is with your mouth that you profess the faith and are saved. So by doing that, God's going to give you a relationship with him. He's going to take what's ruined and broken in your life and be your rescuer. He's going to take the disobedience and give you obedience. He's going to take the sin and turn it to righteousness. He's going to take the judgment and he's going to deliver you from it. He's going to take the death and he's going to wipe it away with eternal life. He wants to give you all of that. And some of you might be in a relationship with God. And I want you to remember what it says in Romans 8.1. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So, matter, so no matter what's going on in your life, going on in your life, we can rejoice that God of all, the God of all creation loved us first. Even while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Thank you. Hi, my name is Branson Isaacs, and I'm very happy to be speaking to you today. Um, I don't know about you, but I've been in quarantine for the past two months. Um, and it's getting a little tired, and it's getting a little old. So even though I'm a little tired of quarantine, it was good to take a shower for the first time in a few weeks today. Um, and I know there's a lot of chaos going on in this time. For me, I, um, I had to do school from home. Um, I can't see my friends anymore, really. Um, my lacrosse season was canceled. Um, something I can't relate to is many adults are losing their jobs. People are getting sick of all ages. People are dying. Um, and even with all this, the bad chaos going on, I think we can use it as an opportunity to learn and listen to God's voice. I've learned a lot this quarantine, something I think we, that has helped us a lot, helped a lot of people I know, and, um, maybe you, is that 
going outside and walking or riding a bike or get, being active just helps to get your mind off of the craziness. Um, for uh, Another thing is finding a new hobby. Um, I know a lot of people are playing new instruments, finding new things to do and learn. For me, I'm learning the bass. It's um, pretty hard, but it's going well. And so, as I said before, um, I am doing school from home, or I did do school from home as it comes to a close, or did come to a close. Um, so there's a bunch of books on our desk and a bunch of paperwork from school that we did and a bunch of notes. So I'm in a little bit of a learning mode. And so I want to share with you the ABCs of quarantine that I think we've all really learned. Um, starting off, A. A stands for alone time is important. In Luke 5.26, it says, but Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and praised and prayed. Jesus himself knew that alone time was important and that, and that you needed some alone time to grow in your relationship with God. Um, I think in this season, we can use alone time to get our mind off of the craziness, um, to listen to God's voice, to worship, listen to worship music, read our Bible, and whatever you consider to be alone time. Um, after A, we have B. So B would be being with your family. Proverbs 17, 7 says, Grandchildren are the crowning glory of the aged. Parents are the pride of their children. Like many of you, I've spent a lot of time with my family recently. Um, I make fun of them, and we don't always get along, but I love them deeply. And with most of our schedules coming to a complete close, um, it gives us a lot more free time on our hands. And so with that being said, it gives us the opportunity to be more intentional with our families. Um, my family is, we, we've gone, we've ridden bikes together, we've gone on trails, we've played board games, we've had a family movie night, we've gone fishing in a creek and tons more. It has made me uh, really appreciate my family a tons more. And I hope that when our schedules go back to being full and we have sports again, that we can still prioritize family time because it's very important. Leading into that, the last one, C, connect to others. John 15, 17 says, my command is this, love each, other as, love each other as I have loved you. I think it's important to connect to others that you haven't seen because of this quarantine, um, just to check in and make sure they're doing okay. Mark 12, 31 says, the second is equally important. You'll love your neighbor as yourself. No other commandment is greater than this, than these. It is important not just to care about yourself in this quarantine because in this chaos that we're having because people could be going through a rougher time than you and it's important to be there for someone if they don't have if they may not have the family you have to lean on or someone in their corner and so when god created adam adam i mean eve for adam he said it wasn't good for man to be alone i can see that with my dad and how he, how much he needs my mom and even with me i need someone um, in my life to lean on, and it's very important to me, so I have some in my life. And so, with all the ABCs being said, I think one of the main points that we can all agree on is that you don't have to let the chaos be your bad situation, but instead, it can be used as an opportunity to learn and listen to God's voice. Thank you. Morning, Generations Church. My name is Rick Sandal. Um, today, I'm inspired by uh, a scripture that that rings true to my heart, um, and that is uh, Corinthians. It's First Corinthians chapter 16, verse 8. It says, "Give praise to the Lord, 
proclaim his name, make known among the nations what he has done. So what I'm here to talk to you about is to share your story. I'm talking about this story where you get those little God bumps. Um, Don't ignore those. Those are little miracles that happens in your life where God places you in place of other people to make things happen for them that they're praying for, uh, needs that they have, and then the same way where other people um, are put into your path. And God puts them there. And I totally believe this. So I think I just wanted to share with you a couple things about uh, making sure that you share your story. So here's one of mine. Um, a couple years ago, my uncle passed. And uh, due to financial strength, uh, constraints and, um, and some time limitations, my wife Rachel and I decided that we would not be um, able to attend the funeral up in Pennsylvania. Uh, the next morning, I got a call from one of my customers. And she said, um, she asked me if I had suffered a loss. And she saw some postings on social media Uh, that said that my uncle passed with some of my family members who kind of, you know, just, it it kind of, kind of hurt her that, that possibly I was not going to be able to go. And God laid it on her heart to call me to make sure that I was going to go to that funeral. And I told her that I wasn't, um, for the reasons of, you know, that we just couldn't make it, make it happen. And she said that she was going to, um, do whatever she could to make sure that, that we could go. Um, so when I told her that the ticket was about 450 bucks, she's like, well, maybe I could send you and not all four of you. So we did that. Um, she gave me her credit card number. I called her, um, back, um, after I got online because I realized that the price of the ticket actually gone up $200 from the day before from the quote that I gave her. So now we're looking at about 600, 650 bucks. And, um, when I told her this, she said, you know what? You will not deprive me of my blessing. Go ahead and buy the ticket. So I did. The next morning, I was preparing to go um, to go to the airport. And uh, while we were waiting, um, one of Rachel's customers came by and said that uh, she had this envelope, gave it to my son, Caleb, uh, said, here, give this to your mom. So he gives it to her, and inside it was an envelope, had a card in it um, with a check for 100 bucks. And it said uh, the Lord laid it on her heart that we needed some money. And um, in it, it said, make sure you cash it. She warned her, you better cash this because you will not deprive me of my blessing. So right there, I had the little God bumps. Those are the ones that you can't deny, the ones that you, you need to write down. So in your story, the first step of this is to live your story. And I believe that living by faith, uh, praying when you wake up, praying when you go to bed, we prayed about seeing if we could go and if God would make a way. So that's the first step is to live your story. The second thing is to journal your story. Write it down. Ten years ago, that 200 bucks might be a thousand because I, you know, tend to do that kind of stuff. But the hundred dollars that was given to me by, by that Uh, customer of Rachel's um, that was there to supply me with that little extra money to just to go up um, hotel some fine Mexican cuisine um, and it was it was well worth it so I got back a couple of weeks later um, my customer actually told me that she was a little bit worried about the amount of the money 
but she tithes every month based on her sales. Her sales that month weren't quite where they needed to be, but in the last two weeks after she, or in the last two days after she gave me that money, her sales boosted to give her the exact percentage of what she would have tithed me for the original cost of the ticket. A couple days later, she found a check in her van for 200 bucks that she had forgot to cash six months ago. So this was found money for her. Um, so number one, live your story. Number two, you have to journal your story. And number three, share your story for generations to come. Thank you so much. I love y'all. Good morning. Uh, my name is Katie Tiller. My husband and I, Adam, we just welcomed our first baby in February, a little boy named Jack Bennett. And it's been a journey, to say the least, with everything that's happened with COVID. But I've learned a lot these past couple of months. And honestly, I had to lay down a lot of expectations for what I thought life and motherhood would look like in these early days of his life. So with all this extra time I've had at home and all of the middle of the night wakings, I've had a lot of time to evaluate the expectations I had in my life and even more so expectations that I didn't have. As a new mama, I sometimes put expectations on Jack that are setting me up for failure. He's a baby. He needs to eat every two to three hours. He's not always going to sleep as long as I would like him to, but still I expect that. So when he doesn't do it, and I know that he's not going to do it, I sometimes still get disappointed. And so I'd love to pose the question to you, how often do we do this with God? What are you expecting or not expecting from God? As humans, we oftentimes set ourselves up to be disappointed with other humans, with the unrealistic expectations that we place on them. But oftentimes we do the opposite with God. We don't expect much from God and subconsciously prevent ourselves from getting disappointed with the one who can never fail us. Knowing God can do something for you and expecting that he will do something for you are two totally different things. Now, God's not a vending machine of our wants and our desires, but he is a good father who loves giving gifts to his children and answering our prayers. But we do ourselves a disservice when we place God into little boxes of what our human minds can understand and reason with. We limit God to what he can do in our lives. He is sovereign and he is kind, but he won't force his hand in your life. He loves to be invited in, and we ourselves are invited to journey alongside of him and co-labor in this process of bringing the culture and the reality of heaven down to earth. Jesus prayed in Matthew 6:10, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now, we can't always control what happens in the culture around us, but we can influence it to look more like heaven in the way we respond to what's going on around us. And we can expect God to invade earth and heal and save and restore because all of those things are present in heaven. But do we expect that? Which leads me to my next question. What should we personally be expecting from God? As corporate followers of Jesus, we should be expecting miracles, deliverance, redemption, and operate from that place of expectancy. On an individual level, what to expect from God will be revealed differently to individuals for each of us because he has gifted each of us with unique talents, giftings, and callings. And while I can't answer specifically for you what you need to be expecting, 
I can tell you that as you steward your heart and chase after Jesus and the culture that he lived out while here on earth, you will start to expect and see that culture of heaven and the will of God on earth. That is his heart for his children. So as you go into this next week and are praying for what to expect from God, I leave you with two suggestions. The first, study the way Jesus operated throughout scripture and pray that the culture that he created and that of heaven would invade earth and invade your circumstances. And second, to be okay with mystery. We don't always understand why God seemingly answers some prayers and not others, but it shouldn't ever stop us from anticipating the impossible. And while we may never understand, we must rely on knowing his faithful and forever good character. The Bible tells us in Isaiah 55, 8 through 12, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. As the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return to it without watering the earth, and making it blood, bud and flourish so that it yields seed for the sower and bread for the eater. So is my word that goes out from my mouth. It will not return to me empty, but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. You will go out in joy and be led forth in peace. And the mountains and hills will burst into song before you. And all of the trees of the field will clap their hands. So ultimately, I've settled on this. I should expect God to show up and do the miraculous, but I shouldn't expect him to do it in the way that I think it should be done. He loves to show up in ways that we can't even imagine. So my encouragement to you today is this. Anticipate God moving on your behalf. Believe that he can and that he wants to, but remember to leave the lid off your expectation. Don't box God in. Dwell under the shelter of his wings. Study the culture that Jesus brought down from heaven and be led forth in peace, knowing we serve a mighty, all-powerful God. Thank you. Wow, what a great job our communicators did here in this 11 o'clock service. And all day long. Thanks again for listening. If today's message was an encouragement to you, we invite you to share it with your friends and family. Maybe subscribe, rate, and review the podcast. It just helps us spread the word about what God's doing here at Generations Church. For more information about the church, visit us at g.church. Have a great day, and God bless.